Merchant Brain. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Kitchen Brain Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Matarazzo, and today I am joined by Chef Joe Leonardi. Chef Joe is uh, an old friend of mine. We go back, I think, 2006. It's probably when we first met at the uh, tryouts for Team USA. He and I were teammates together on the 2008 Regional Culinary Olympic team and uh, have, a, have a, lot of, uh, a lot of good times in the bank, a lot of, a lot of wild stories. <laughs> Um, and, uh, and he's here today. Uh, chef Joe is a certified master chef. He is, uh, and, and I'll let him clarify because, uh, I always, I, I, we all hear different numbers all the time, but he's one of, I think 70 something certified master chefs in the United States. Uh, he probably knows more specific and, uh, one of, I think 80 something that ever passed it. And if I'm wrong about any of those, uh, Joe, you can, you can speak up there, but, um, he also uh, fairly recently uh, got pretty passionately into the art of beekeeping and has started Leonardi Apiary and Garden. Um, and that, that's a really, really cool thing that he's doing there. So, uh, Chef Joe, how are you, my brother? Good, Mikey. What's happening? Not much, man. Not much. Thanks for coming on. Uh, oh, I appreciate tough, it. tough guy to get in touch with since you got famous. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> um, I, I should mention too, uh, and, and not, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mention this in the beginning. Uh, it's, it's probably most important. Uh, Joe is also the executive chef of the country club in Brookline, Massachusetts. Uh, the country club is said to be the first, uh, real private country club in the United States. Is that right? That's correct. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, Actually, um, uh, started off Mike as a, uh, bus track. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually pretty cool. The, um, the back side of the clubhouse is actually now the front and the front, the original front is now actually the back. So really? it's pretty cool the way how it's set up. Yeah. Do they yeah. still, is there still a horse presence there? There is no horse presence there. No? Oh, okay. No, no. Cool. Unfortunately. Yeah. Well, really, uh, really prestigious club and, uh, amazing culinary program there. Um, and you, I'm sorry, you're not the executive chef there. You're the director of culinary operations, right? Same so, thing, I would say. Thing. Yeah, but you're, you're right, Mike. I was going to ask you right. about that later. <laughs> yeah, I guess that day is just a fine line. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Um, but I, you know, I want to kind of start, uh, start from the end. Let's be a little non-traditional here uh, and, and start backwards. Uh, and and kind of, I want to get into the beekeeping thing because uh I, I see you posting on Instagram and Facebook uh, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I can tell, I, I know you pretty well. I could tell that it's something that you're really passionate about and excited about. And uh, I just want to, I, I want to know how you, how you kind of got into that and, and what's your, what's your story there? Well, Mike, to, to be honest with you, I got into this. There was um, a couple of beehives at the club when I first got hired. Nobody really knew how to take care of them. Um, and then unfortunately they both moved on. So we were left with this beekeeping equipment, really didn't know what to do with it. I, um, asked my general manager at the time, you know, what should we do? Uh, I said, Hey, can I take it home and read up on it? Couldn't lift it. It was probably each hive was probably 200 pounds, 
didn't know what was in it, didn't know what to expect, got it home, opened it up, and uh, that 200 pounds was all honey. And uh, pretty much from that moment on, I was hooked. I wanted to know how the bees got the honey into those hives. So something that started off with two hives, I'm up to uh, 30 hives now. Wow. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy right now with them. That's cool. But it's cool. It is cool. You know, um, it's really, it's good for the environment. I enjoy doing it. Uh, we need bees. I mean, without bees, uh, the world, uh, the food sauce uh, would, would be tough. Pollination. I mean, I see it here in my own gardens. You know, apple trees are blooming every year, producing. Our, our vegetable gardens are, are producing. I relate it all back to the bees. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. Um, I, you know, I, I, uh, dabbled with bees a little bit, uh, as you know, never, never got to, to the level that you got to, but I, I remember, I remember before you really started messing around with them. And I think at the time I had been, I had been keeping bees for four, four years or so. You called me up to ask me just some general questions and it was like <laughs> not six months later you're like a fucking master beekeeper i mean you're doing <laughs> yeah. you're doing shit that i've only read about uh, and i was like jesus you really you really took it and ran um, yeah i got hooked man i got hooked pretty fast on it they're fascinating and, uh, they are fascinating i mean people um you don't realize you know i'll, I'll give you a quick uh, analogy i live up here in massachusetts if i was to drive from here to Washington, D.C., that's like a bee traveling five miles. So they'll travel five miles a day just to go out and forage and bring that little nectar back to the hive. It just blows my mind. I mean, who's going to drive to Washington and back in the same day? Yeah. No right. one is. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they do so it like every day. That's pretty wild. They do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I was always fascinated with their their communication methods and uh, all the the different jobs that they have. It's it's a really sophisticated kind of society. Um, I, I, they all I, have a they they all have a job. Yeah, you know, I, I mean the, uh, the the queen bee is the one who rules the roost, and then you have all the workers, and then the drones. I mean, they have sex once in their life, and then they're dead. That's it. <laughs> yeah. They go out, they yeah. mate, and then they die. Yeah. That's so, that's the, that's, that's the man's that's the man's life in the in the honeybee yeah. world. <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs> um <laughs> so well cool. And and you're not just you're not just harvesting honey, you're you're turning it into uh other products. I think this is where uh well partly where your culinary uh uh craftsmanship comes in but then also yeah. um some other products that have nothing to do with uh, consumables what what are you doing there so i really think mike the the one thing that separates us from other beekeepers anybody can raise bees harvest the honey but i i think the one thing that we do and i agree with you because of um my culinary background i'm able to take the honey i'm able to infuse it with different flavors um you know, we do like chocolate. Uh, we just did elderberry. Uh, we're working with uh, cannabis and CBD. Um, you know, and I'm able to infuse all of those flavors without applying heat to any of my honey, uh, which you know is going to keep all of the natural 
benefits of, of local raw honey. Right. You know, where, where a lot of people, uh, in order to infuse those honeys, they, they have to do it with heat. And, uh, you know, and we don't. But I do have to tell you that the one joke that I do get all the time is, here I am, I'm a master chef, and now I'm making beauty products. <laughs> I'm making foot, you know, lotions and foot scrubs and, you know, chapstick and, and all of that stuff. So that seems to be the joke around the club and, and amongst my peers that here I am, you know, I'm, I'm going to start making all these beauty products now. So <laughs> do you demo the foot scrubs? Like if I took a ride up to Boston, would, would, would you? Uh, I don't know about that, man. <laughs> I see you in, in your tidy whities man, back in the day. I'm not touching your feet. <laughs> uh, come on, man. <laughs> uh, well, that's cool, man. That's awesome. So, so what's, what's the plan? I mean, uh, obviously it's growing. Um, I, I assume that you're, you're incorporating some of this and, and certainly the education part, uh, for, for your staff and, and kind of into what you offer the membership at the country club. Uh, I do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, one of those cool things is when you take somebody that's never seen that, you know, a hundred thousand bees, I mean, that's how many are in the hive, you know, you buy them, you know, people buy bees. I don't buy bees anymore. Um, you know, I want to, I'm into the sustainability and, you know, taking the, the eggs out of the one hive and generating my own queens to keep those, you know, genes around. Um, but to take somebody that's never seen that and put them in a bee suit and then open up a hive and you just, I mean, you, you smell that honey in there, you smell the beeswax in there. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable, yeah. you know, and just to, like you were saying before, you know, watching them do their little wiggle dance to show and, you know, they dance a certain way and that's telling the bees, Hey, it may go over this way. That's where the food is. And it's, it's just amazing. It really is. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's fascinating. Um, I, you know, it's, it's crazy that you're, you're raising Queens and stuff. I, I remember, when I first, the first time I got hives at my house, I got two hives at my house when we first moved to Charlottesville. And, uh, you know, I was still learning. So I was making a lot of mistakes and I, I reacted too quickly to, uh, what seemed to me, you know, it seemed to me that the, the, they're raising a new queen. So, you know, if, for those of you who, who, uh, aren't into the bee thing, if, if they're raising a new queen, it could mean that they're, they're running out of space in their hive. So they have to raise a new queen and take 50% of the colony away so they can find a bigger place to live. Um, or, or she's just not doing a job. Or she's not they doing her job, which is pretty intense, which is pretty Game yeah. of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> but, you know, I, I was very reactive. So uh, without really doing my research and, and really looking to see if there was still a queen in there or not, I just started killing queen cells. I just started cutting oh, out all the queen larvae, oh, and uh, and then I realized there's no queen in there. Yeah, now and, you just screwed uh, yourself. Yeah, so I called the guy that I bought the uh, the the nuke from. Uh, I bought the the colony from, and I said, "Hey, man, I don't have a queen in my hive, and uh, you know you could buy just a queen." So uh, he's he's like 50 minutes away from me, and it was a busy time <laughs> of the season. There's no way I could get out to him. And, uh, and he said, well, where do you live? And I told him where I live. And he said, well, I got a brother-in-law who works at a mechanic, right. You know, right. A couple miles away from you. Can you meet yeah. him there? I'll give him the queen. 
and then you can you can <laughs> just get it from him. So I was like, all right, I, I guess I could do that. So seven in the morning, I walk into this mechanic shop that I'd never been in before. Uh, I, it's just me and this. It was a long, narrow, uh, you know, front retail area. And there's this this big dude sitting behind a desk and he looks up <laughs> at me and I looked at him. And he goes, can I help you? And I looked at him and, and this is something you never really get to say in life. Uh, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm here for the queen. And, and he looks at me and he's like, all right. And he reaches into his pocket and he pulls this little, this little wooden bog, you know, little cage out of his pocket. Oh yeah. And I was like, Jesus, it's in your pocket. And he's like, yep. Got to keep her warm. And, uh, and he gave it to me and I went home and I, I put it in. I, I was okay for a little while, but, uh, but yeah, that, that's one of my uh, my stories. You also had a problem with bears, right? Yeah, well, that was at the club. We had four hives at the club. And, you know, that I was taking care of them in cooperation with with one of our golf course maintenance guys. And, and he also was was more knowledgeable than I was. Um, but yeah, four four hives. One night, we believe that uh, teenagers at some point in the middle of the night pushed all the hives over and we lost two that way. Uh, we were able to save two. And then the following uh, spring, early spring, when we did our first checkup of the season, uh, we found that both of those hives were doing okay. The very next day, Black Bear got them early in the morning. Uh, And we lost another one. And the last one was kind of on life support. This this guy, Aaron, that was, was helping out, he took them home and was able to get them back to where they should be with his bees. Uh, and then we brought it back to work and then I started getting ready for the exam and they kind of fell victim to neglect. Uh, yeah. so we, we don't have any more hives now. I, a lot of people don't realize how much time it takes. I mean, it's, you got to go in there every two weeks. A lot a time, a lot. And that's it. You know, a lot of people are like, Oh, you know, cause I do these beekeeping classes and stuff for, um, you know, I like to do it for children. We do it for a, um, a summer program at our club and things like that. But people just think, you know, you, you take a box of bees because that's how they come. You know, people buy the bees out of Georgia or South Carolina. Looks like a shoebox. And then they ship them up here. But people just think, hey, man, let me take these bees. You put them in a box and that's all you got to do. That's that's not the case at all. man. Right. I, I'm in those hives in, at the peak of the time, Mike. I'm in those hives once a week just to check to make sure, like you said about the queen, that the hives are being overcrowded. They're not looking to supersede her and, you know, kick her out or anything. You know, I mean, it slows down now. I'm probably in there two to three weeks, you know, at a time. Uh, I'll run in and, and just check them. But I mean, come Thanksgiving, I won't be in those hives till March, maybe. Right. You know, but so. that's 30 hives. That that's that's a, an incredible uh, time commitment. <laughs> it's nuts. You know, my my wife thinks I'm nuts doing it, um, you know, and every year it kind of gets out there to be a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. But I, you know, Mike, I don't buy that. You know, I keep going back to I don't buy the bees. You know, I'm not going to buy bees out of Georgia to uh, to bring up here to New England. Um, it, it just doesn't make sense. Right. You know, the bees are down there. It's warm weather. They're, they're, they're not used to the temperatures up here. That's why I, I raise my own bees, you sure. know, and uh, make my own queens and, 
you know, I sell the bees, I sell the queens, um, you know, to, to people up in this area and, you know, Hey, it works out. Yeah. So cool, man. Um, so anybody who wants to check out, um, some of the products that Joe is producing with the bees, uh, you should. It's it's not it's not what you think. Um, There's definitely some unique products and and definitely high quality. Um, the 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 name of the the company is Leonardi Apiary and Garden. Website is allthingshoneyandmore.com, and you could follow on Instagram for updates. Uh, and the handle is at Leonardi Apiary. So uh, definitely check that out and and see what kind of things he's doing. It's uh, it's always, always being updated and, and always really cool to see kind of the unique, um, unique things he's coming up with. So, um, so now, you know, moving kind of backwards uh, in, in, in your career, um, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you for, for a number of reasons. Uh, one being that, that we've been so close over the years, but uh, you know, with, with this podcast, uh, I, I want to, part of what I want to do is I want to talk about things that, um, I don't feel get enough attention and, you know, things that I think deserve more attention. Um, and the certified master chef designation and the exam associated with it is, is one of those things. It has been one of those things for me for, for a very long time that I just have always felt, um, you know, didn't, didn't get enough exposure and, and wasn't known about, uh, by enough people in our industry as a whole. Um, so, you know, I, I, I want to kind of talk about that and uh, enlighten some people, uh, give them uh, kind of a, a fresh, full perspective uh, on the whole process and, and how you kind of get there and, and all those kind of things. Um, and, and you have a, a pretty incredible pathway to that. So for, for you, um, you know, when, when we met, you were at the, at, you were working at Johnson and Wales. You were on the faculty. There. Really? Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. You Dude, had we not... go back then a long time. Yeah. You had not, you had not jumped from Johnson and Wales, uh, to was Somerset, Somerset right after. Yeah. yeah. You hadn't, you yeah. hadn't, you hadn't left to go to Somerset yet. Um, wow. yeah, no. Um, Shit. So, so you were there, uh, for, for a little while and, you know, so you, you were always a mentor to people. I mean, you, you, you started out, uh, kind of in education, mm. uh, in the earlier part of your career. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I, yeah. you know, Mike, I, I like that part of it though. Yeah. You know, you, you said the mentorship and stuff like that. I, uh, I did enjoy that part. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I feel like, um, you know, I, I feel like that's kind of key, uh, in, that ties into this pathway. I mean, if I think about the guys that, that are, uh, CMCs that, that kind of, you know, most of them kind of fit the description of, of mentor. A lot of them were educators at right. one point, uh, of their career. So that, that's kind of something that I think, um, is, is, yeah, I, I never saw myself though at Johnson and Wales and thinking of being a CMC, you know, I had, um, I had people tell me, when I was there working that I have the ability to become one, you know, which was, they saw something in me that I didn't see. Right. Which was, you know, exactly like what you're just saying, you know, having those mentors and, and people to push you and steer you in the right direction. That's, that's really where it started at Johnson and Wales. 
Right. So I, so yeah. So, I mean, so that's when you would say um, you kind of first decided that this is something that you were interested in pursuing at some point in your career. It, it was it, Mike, it was actually though the team that came up first okay. in 2004. Um, I got pulled into the office. I actually thought I was going to get fired. <laughs> and they pulled me into the office and um, they said, Hey, we want you to try out for the ACF culinary team. And I'm like, me? And they're like, yeah, you. And um, you know, that was with chef Kevin Duffy and chef George Opelenik that, you know, sat me down and, and had a little heart to heart with me and said, Hey, look, you know, you, you have this drive and ability and um, you know, go for it. You know, you, you, you have the talent, you have the support, you know, you, you have everything that you need, go for it. And, um, and I did. And I'm, and I'm so thankful that I had that conversation with those two gentlemen, because I don't think I'd be sitting here today in this position if I didn't, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I know uh, George Opelenik is a, a, a big, big mentor of yours. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He is. Yeah. He's a special guy. guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he is. Um, all right. So, so you, you kind of got that planted. The seed was planted in your head. Um, and then you, what year did you leave Johnson and Wales? Whew. Oh man, I'm dating back here. It had to be, I'm going to say Mike around that 2006 time. Was it has you, to be was somewhere it that early. I don't think so, man. I, because the only, the only reason I say that is because when we were, when we were on the team together and we had that, that conference call, we used to do practices at the school now that I'm thinking about it. Right. No, I know. I've, I've never been to Johnson and Wales. No, we did. Huh. We did the practices at Westchester. Right. Man, you're getting old. Yeah, uh, and this is what happens. <laughs> no, see, because the reason that I think it's later is because we, there was a point at which maybe 2000. Three people on our team got new jobs all around right. the same time. And that's okay. what kind of, I mean, that and, and a bunch of other things is kind of one of the, the things that was complicating our progress. Right. Um, I think I think Drew started a new job. I thought you at where where at that point. I think it was like 2007. Um, yeah, it could have been. Maybe it could maybe, have been. Maybe late 07. But um, yeah, and then we had that conference call to decide like, what yep. are we doing? Are we going? Are we not going? Uh, <laughs> and then and then a few months later, we won the championship. But that's a different story, and requires a whole hour in itself. That uh, it does. <laughs> uh, Just cut it, Mike. <laughs> just cut it so um yeah so so you you left uh johnson and wells why why did you leave johnson and wells what was what was what happened there what kind of awakening was that i knew if i didn't leave jnw i knew that I, you here it is you, you know the the truth of the matter is this you can't educate people if you haven't been there yourself and I didn't feel right standing up in front of students and educating them on industry experience that I didn't have. 
And for me, Mike, it, it just, it wasn't sitting right with me every day. I could teach them how to cook. I was very confident in, in my cooking ability, but I didn't have that one piece that, that they wanted to know about. And right. that was the, you know, the, the strong industry experience, running your own place, being responsible for X amount of employees, running budgets, writing menus, hiring, firing, dealing with customers and, or members. I didn't have that experience. And um, I felt in order to be a better educator or better mentor, dude, I always thought I would end up back at Johnson & Wales at some point in my, in my career. And maybe right. that, that day might happen or maybe it won't. I don't know. But um, I felt that I needed to leave in order to, to educate people the right way. Yeah. So I left, you know, I left on good terms and I left for the right reasons. And um, yeah, you know, ended up at the Somerset club. Somerset club. Uh, also like a really, um, really prestigious club, uh, particularly the, the level of food um, and the expectations at the Somerset club. Cause it's a city club, right? It's a city club. And that is their focus was the food, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. We had some meeting space and some rooms and things like that, but it was a white tablecloth environment. And um, I, I, I mean, it, it was awesome. I had a great time there. I really yeah. did. You know, I had a great time. I, I have a great time today, you know, at, at the country club, totally two different experiences, but my love for food at the Somerset club, it, it was, I loved it. I, yeah. I love cooking on the line every day. You know, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. I had a blast. That's awesome. Um, so then you're, you're getting closer now, right? You were at the Somerset club for how long you were there for a while, huh? Yeah, I was there for, I was at the Somerset club total of 10 years. Yeah. Wow. And, um, I would say, six years in there. I mean, I was on three different teams. Um, I guess it was the second team. That's when I tried out for the, that's when I was going for the exam. I think that was 2000. That was 14. So it would have been um, the 16 team. So we, we was eight, 12 and 16. Right. So 12, uh, 12, you were a member of the national team. You were captain of the national team. Correct. And yeah. then yeah. Uh, 16, you were manager of the national team. Right. That's right. Yep. Right. Yep. Okay. Don't worry. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what you did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, well, cool. So, so uh, that, that, that's really cool. I mean, not a lot of people can say that they, they have um that kind of direct progression from regional team to national team to taking over the team um and that that's a pretty cool way i mean i've, I've been to germany um three times now but you know i was just kind of kind of the same same level every time but you've definitely uh oh that's not true don't say that well i mean i've had you, the same you, job yeah but you also been working with the the military teams yeah, you well, know, that, and coaching them, and do yeah, 
yeah, that's where I keep going back. No, I, w- I wasn't taking a knock at myself. It's just uh, it's it's cool to see, you know, I mean, you, you definitely took, um, you know, kind of a natural progression of regional right. to national and then taking over the national team is is pretty enormous. Um, right. So. So that that's and that's another thing too. And 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 I was I was kidding when I said that it would take a whole other hour for us to talk about that. Um, but but also I think, and you and I briefly talked about it uh, on the phone the other day. Uh, I think when season two comes, uh, we're gonna do uh, kind of a, a a full reunion recap of our experience in 08 and and right. maybe do like a special two hour have the whole team on and uh, oh yeah and kind of go through because that's another thing man that uh shit man not not enough people know and and you know this I'm, I'm preaching to the choir right now but not enough people know about the culinary olympics you know you you have the boku's door which is don't get me right. wrong i mean you know Huge. absolutely phenomenal Huge. yeah and and enormous but um I mean, I'll, I'll and, and I, again, I don't want to get too far into it, but I'll never forget after everything that we went through to get where we got to uh, and and the the emotional roller coaster and <laughs> and all that we put our our families through getting there and we get home from that trip and you tell friends and family about what you just did. And they look at you and they're like, wow, there's an Olympics for food. Yeah, dude, and I got then- asked. I got asked if I was cooking for the people. <laughs> oh did you go over oh, there and cook for people oh for like, the yeah no yeah <laughs> wait it wasn't in germany this year was it <laughs> yeah 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 so i you know more more exposure to that uh is is definitely needed and long overdue it is it um, is but uh but we'll get into that so so 14 uh 2014 is when you were on the the docket and and you took uh the master chef exam for the first time um, yeah. and you went through, uh, so can you, I, I don't want to, I don't want to say it, um, because you, you, you know, a lot more about it and the, the workings of it than I do, but, um, just a, a quick, as quick of an outline as you can on what the exam looks like. Um, let's talk previously to the format that they're, they're transitioning to, like, what, what does that look like uh, to take the exam? So they're going to be launching that new exam, Mike. I think it's in March. Yeah. Is this first segment. So they've, they've taken the eight-day segment and have broken it down into four, two four-day segments. Right. Two, right, two four-day segments. And um, I, I don't know off the top of my head. I forget the disciplines that the candidates have to do in the first four segments and then what they have to do in their second four segments. They have a certain amount of time in between the first one and the second one to, um, you know, get, get focused, readjusted. I mean, it is, you know, like you said, a, uh, an emotional roller coaster, no matter which way it goes up or down for you. Yeah. But um, currently right now, that's the, you know, the exam has been changed from, a solid eight days to two four day segments. Right. So it was solid eight days when you took it. Yeah. Um, and what just describe uh, just for, for anybody who was taking it at that time, uh, just to give people listening uh, an understanding of what those eight days were like um, from a format perspective, um, not personally, but just from a format perspective, just so everybody has a good understanding of, 
what this because this is this has been said to be one of the most uh, and some 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 studies or whatever say that it, it could be the most um, challenging professional certification exam in the world for, for all industries. Right. So I think it's important that that people know that and that people understand what were what were those eight days? What did that entail for a candidate going through the test? Do you want me to say it for um, <laughs> Chris, you know, I took the test twice. No, so, no, I get that. Yeah. So, I mean, in 2014, I had a different perspective than 2017, not because of the outcome, by all means, not because of the outcome. But I mean, in, in 14, Mike, it's hard, man. And, and, and in 17, it was hard. You know, you're up long hours um, studying. You know, it's, it's like... Um, it's like figure skaters, you know, like when, when figure skaters go out on the ice and they, they skate around and they're, it's seamless, you know, I would do that every night. I would, I would look at my prep list and look at my timelines and I would think of, okay, look, man, I got four hours. This is, this is how I'm going to go in and this is how I'm going to skate. And, um, and then afterwards, you know, you, you, you get your, your basket for the following, you know, two days out and you go home and then you start studying for that and writing timelines and prep list and food orders. And it's, it's, it, it was the hardest thing I ever did in my life. Hardest thing I ever did in my life. Most rewarding because I personally wanted it the second right. time. Sure. Um, I think the first time I wasn't sure why I wanted it, you know, Right. But yeah. So how, what did you do to prepare for it uh, leading up to it the, the first time? I mean, what was your kind of, what was your regimen leading up to it? First time. So the first time, you know, Mike, the, the first time it was kind of, um, I, I made that decision, you know, I was surrounded by talented people. Um, you know, the, the, the men and women that were on the culinary team, the the chefs that were mentoring us and coaching us, everybody was was very talented um, that I surrounded myself with, and um, you know I, I in fourteen I would probably say I was at the pinnacle of my career. The, you know I was we just came back from Luxembourg, we you know, one, uh, we got the highest score in cold food display. Uh, I think we were ranked third overall. It, it was awesome. I was on a high, the team was on a high, we were focused and, uh, I felt that I was ready to take the test and, um, I, I, I went for it. I cooked all nine days, Well, I cooked all eight days, nine baskets. And, um, yeah, it, I, I, I didn't pass. I didn't pass. And um, I, I bombed the last day. And, uh, and I did fail. You know, I, I did fail a segment. Uh, I think it was global. And uh, I couldn't get over that. And that was probably the biggest difference from 14 to 17, Mike, was I couldn't get over 
not doing as, as well as I did, or I couldn't get over, you know, screwing something up. You know, I was always known for my garbage work. And in 14, I said, you know, I want, whether it was a 90 or, or higher. And, um, you know, day one was always freestyle. And that's kind of a, a tough day for anybody, but, you know, I passed it and I did well. And, um, but Gamage in my mind in the first, in 14, I, I wanted a 90 or higher. And um, I think I got like a 70 or something, 75 or something along that line. And I was devastated from that. And um, I couldn't move past that. So the next day, it, it kind of, I got all that weight on my shoulders. And then the next day, something, you know, I passed, but it wasn't, I didn't feel like I was doing it as, as good as I could have been doing it. And I wasn't sure why I was there. You know, I was kind of getting a little, I don't want to say confused or, or mind games, but I, I, I was distracted and, I think it was day seven or day six. Day six, I think, was global, and um, and I failed. I ended up burning myself. I was making tostones, and um, and I burnt myself. And um, you know, my my apprentice it was upset that I burnt myself, and then my paella was overcooking, and you know, I think I had jerked pork tenderloin in the oven or something, and it was bad. And, um, you know, I remember I, I looked to my right and, you know, we were in this building and, and it had like all glass walls on the, on the street and people were looking at cost mine freaking station was right there. And, um, and I failed that day. And, um, and that was the end of my, I, it was tough for me to move on. I passed bacon and pastry and, um, I passed Continental in the morning on uh, day eight. And then you have this big mystery basket. And for those that don't know it, I mean, that mystery basket has what, like 30 something items in it, 32 items. You need to write a menu. And, uh, and then you got four hours to cook. And um, yeah, dude, I, I, I can cook. I love cooking duck. And I remember we had duck. I don't know what the hell I did to that duck, but it didn't deserve to be cooked like that. It was manhandled. And um, yeah, dude, I, I failed. I failed. And uh, I struggled after that for a while. You think you think day eight, um, your, your, the way that things went on day eight was kind of, uh, kind of a result of what happened on day six in, in your I mind? I do. I do because... Um, I knew I had one more swing or one more pitch and this was it. And in my mind, I was like, man, I got the team and the people on the team. And then I got my family and my kids and I'm trying to set up to be a good role model for my kids. And, you know, my family at work, you know, I mean, my cooks at, at the Somerset club, you know, those, they weren't my cooks, you know, that, that those guys were my family. And it, it kind of just like blew my mind up. And yeah, I, I definitely think day six led into that, but 
it was a shame because people there believed in me and knew that I can do it. And I, I didn't believe in myself, I guess, you know, and, uh, and that was it, man. I, I, I blew it. Right. So, so how do you, I mean, I, I can, I can relate to, uh, definitely the, the last part about what you said about the people who, um, you know, who, who believe in you uh, right? and that, and that thought of, um, you know, what happens if I let all these people down? Um, right. so, and, and you, and, and you've talked about it pretty openly. I mean, when, I mean, I, I know, I know I was, I didn't hear from you for a while after, uh, after day eight of that exam. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, 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 cause that, that's a, it's a tremendous impact on, um, on your family also. I mean, just, just they're, they're supportive, but at the same time, you know, I mean, like anything we do with competing or, or, or right. taking the exam, I mean, it's always, it's always at, you know, to, to some degree, a cost, uh, you know, of, of time. Well, it's a sacrifice. Like yeah. It's a sacrifice. I mean, whether you're, you're on the team and practicing and, and doing stuff for, for the team or, you know, you, you're preparing yourself mentally, physically for that exam. It's, you know, it's, it's time away from, from people that want to be with you. Right. And um, you, you, you're right. I mean, after that exam, I was in a very dark place for a very long time. I would say every bit of a year. I was, I was in a dark place and, um, embarrassed. I would say, um, mentally, I, I just wasn't there. I, I didn't, I didn't want to be around people that, that supported me, you know, my, my cooks at the club, I, I wanted nothing to do with them. My family, I, I just, I just pushed them off to the side. I, I didn't want to be around my kids. I didn't want to be around my wife. It, it was tough for me because it's kind of like a double-edged sword. I, I felt like I let everybody down and I didn't know how to deal with it. And I was embarrassed. You know, here I was, I was at the, the height of my career. So I thought I'm managing the, the United States Olympic team. We just came off this huge win out of Luxembourg. Um, everything, all the momentum, Mike, was, was just moving in the right direction. And, um, and, and when I didn't earn it, 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 it killed me. It, it really did. I don't know why, but, you know, it, it definitely did. Sure. So there is definitely a, a more than a happy ending to the, to the whole story, but how was there a, um, kind of a, an awakening? I mean, what did you do with yourself, um, to get out of that kind of hole? Like what, what did you do? What, what did it take for you? I, I made a decision, you know, um, I, I looked at the cooks that, um, that supported me through my career and, and my own kids and my wife and, and people like that. And I said, um, you know, either, either I'm going to do this and move forward or, or I'm not, and I'm still going to be able to move forward. And it was kind of just, 
I woke up one morning, Mike, and, and I said, enough's enough. And, you know, I'm not going to feel sorry for myself. And it's, it's time for me to make a new decision. And, um, you know, that, that decision was I'm going to get through the culinary team. And when that exam is offered again, I'm going to go there and I'm going to kick ass and give no reason at all why I don't deserve this certification. Because deep down in my inside, I knew that I deserved it. I deserved it because I've been working hard my whole career. Uh, I mean, I'm, I never, uh, you know, I, I never, it's hard to talk about yourself, but you know, I, I never talk about my cooking ability or, or anything like that, but I knew that I knew how to cook. Right. And that's all that that exam is, is a cooking exam. It's nothing more, nothing less. It doesn't matter if it's German cuisine or Asian or, or whatever, or American, it's, it's still cooking. You know, you have a heat source and you got a pan. It, it, it's cooking, man. And um, I, yeah, I, I just woke up that day and I said that enough's enough. And I didn't want to live like that because I, I was on the brink of, of going crazy, you know, and, you know, you have all these crazy thoughts in your mind and I was scared. I was scared for a long time, but I rebounded. Yeah. So, I mean, when you, when you look back, uh, hindsight, you know, is always twenty twenty. Do you, um, do you honestly feel now that the people that you thought, uh, would think less of you for, for not passing now, do you think that those people actually felt that way? Any of them? No, no, no they didn't care whether I passed or not. None of those people did. And I don't mean that in any negative way at all. You know, no. they still, you know, they know, they all knew who Joe Leonardi is and they all know what Joe Leonardi is capable of doing and my passion and, you know, my, my love for all of them. And, and, but it doesn't matter if I have those initials by, after my name or not to them, it doesn't, you know, yeah, I, I think the and, and I asked that question for a reason. Um, I asked it more for the people listening than I did for for you or I, um, because, you know, I think it's important to highlight the fact that, you know, somebody if you are somebody who uh, has taken the time to mentor people and and lead people and bring positive, uh, you know, positive direction to to other people's lives through what you do, uh there there's nothing that's gonna take that away from their experience or the way that they see you right and and i i think you know that that's hard for us to it's it's hard for us to realize that in the moment you know and uh, right like i said i i fell victim to to the same thought process that you did um much earlier on in the exam and looking back it was like well you know, and I've, I've given, it's funny too, because I, and I'm sure you have also, like I've given people the advice, you know, right, I gave yeah. them the advice yeah. beforehand <laughs> yeah. and then, and then I'm in the position and it's like, geez, right. I, didn't, I didn't listen to anything that I said. Right. Um, right. <laughs> so, you know, I think it's important to highlight the fact that, you know, sometimes uh, when, when people are thinking about going for something or, or, or putting themselves out there uh, in, in a way that there's a, there's a risk. Uh, or, or they're, 
um, you know, they want to put themselves out there to accomplish the next level or something completely different in their career. And they're having doubts. Um, a lot of times those doubts are fueled by how they perceive everybody else's judgment of them if they, you know, don't make it the first time or, or they, they don't succeed. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think if, in, if you have modeled yourself and, and you've made a solid foundation and relationship with people around you and they look up to you, um, I, I don't think that's something that you have to worry about. You know, I think that people should take a chance and, and go for it and, and know that the people who supported you before are still going to support you after. Right. Right. You know, Mike, I, I see that a lot with, um, with young kids today. Well, not so much during the pandemic, but in the past competing and I would go and judge and, you know, they're so hung up on that, that jewelry, you know, Oh, did I get a medal? Is it gold? Is it silver? You know, what is it? Oh, it's a diploma. What, what do you mean? I deserve better and blah, blah, blah. Well, no, you, you, you don't. And if you're here just to get a medal, man, I'm sorry, but then you, you, you're here for the wrong reason, you know, especially at that young age. And I would always tell the students, you know, don't get hung up on those medals. I got a drawer full of them, you know, and, you, and that's where they are. You know, here's my office. I'm sitting in my office at my home. You don't see any medals hanging up behind me. I got honey, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's not about, it's not about the medal. You know, it's about that journey and it's about learning, you know, and, and feeling that pressure and adapting to it and working under those conditions. That's what's going to make you a better cook. Right. You know, yeah, the medals are nice, but, you know, they, young people always have to remember it's always not, it's not always about that medal. You know, it's about the journey leading into that competition, building the relationships before you get to that competition and then once you're in the competition, it's it's showing what you've learned, working and, and learning from those mistakes and moving on, you know, and then coming back exactly like what I did. And then coming back and getting that gold medal, you know, yeah. if I did a rabbit platter and, and, and I'm just saying this, you know, in 14 and I got a 70, I'm going to do another rabbit platter. And I, my goal for would be to get an 80 or an 85. You know, as long as there's that progression, right? People, people shouldn't be upset with themselves. Yeah. You know, they, they they shouldn't. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, um, <clears throat> so you you take the test again in 2017. Yeah. And that was it. Was at Pasadena? Is that right? No, that was um, where the hell? No, that was Schoolcraft, Michigan. Oh, that was yeah. I was there. Yeah. I was there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so you, you go up to Schoolcraft in Michigan, which uh, yeah. incredible, incredible facility. Um, it was. Oh, and yeah. I, I didn't get to watch you because the 2014 was Pasadena. Right. 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 So I, I wasn't I wasn't there for that. But um, I, I did watch you in, in 2017 at Schoolcraft. Um, what, what's the difference? What, 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 who is Joe Leonardi going into 2017 as opposed to Joe Leonardi going into 2014? In, um, in, in 2017, Mike, I had fun. I had fun cooking. Yeah. In 14, uh, there was no fun about anything. You know, I was, I, it was more stress 
than anything else. In 17, I had fun cooking every day. It, it reminded me of the days when I was on the line and there was 22 tickets hanging on the, on the, the, the dupe hanger there. That's what it reminded me of back in the day cooking. I had a blast. Yeah. And I can honestly say that people might think I'm nuts, but dude, I had fun cooking and I was prepared. I had great support system. You know, I, I had a young gentleman with me, you know, that um, kid made me breakfast every morning, you know, Mike Shannon, it was, it was awesome and um, supported me, you know, and, and I didn't have that in 14, which I, which I think is key, you know, to have that type of support system there. But the, the major difference between 14 and 17, I had fun. Yeah. I had a blast cooking, man. Yeah. There was some tough times. Don't get me wrong. And, um, you know, especially having like Steve Gillibus standing over my shoulder and I'm doing global cuisine. And I mean, Christ, he is the best at it and knows so much about it. And, you know, and, and, you know, we're doing, I forget we were doing short ribs and some other stuff and, you know, yeah, it it was stressful, but, but I had fun. And that's, that's what separated the big difference was 14 to 17. I had fun. Yeah. I, I remember you telling me that too. I, I think there was a day when you were breaking down uh, across the hall from the exam kitchen and I popped in there uh, to say hi. And I asked, I, I asked you how you were, how you're feeling. Uh, and, and you said that you, you, you said, I'm, I'm, I'm having fun, you know, what, whatever yeah. happens um, I'm having fun. So it was, it was definitely a pleasure to watch. Um, watch you go through that um so yeah so you you get through the eight day it was still the eight day format right you get through the eight still days. the eight day format yep yep eight day format and uh the the big mystery basket you know the last basket to cook was on uh day eight you know because you cook cook twice on that day and um yeah man i got through it i had um yeah it was awesome. Dude, day eight was, you know, I, I the judges were standing around and things were going, pots were banging, and it it, it brought me back to when I was a line cook. Yeah. And it validates what what chefs have said in the past about the exam. It's a cooking exam. It's nothing more, it's nothing less. Right. And no, you know, I'd be lying to you and, and everybody if I said, oh, you know, I'm a master at classical and I'm a master at this. No, I'm, I'm not. But I have the understanding on how to do it right. And, yeah. you know, I understand reading a Scoffier and, you know, other books that pertain to classical cuisine. And it, that's what you got to do. But, right. you know. So uh i just had a thought there and i i lost it flew right out of my head um well you know i mentioned in the beginning you know i i I wanna i wanna do uh you know play a small part and in in helping to spread the word and and bring this thing more exposure but why why do you think um i don't know why do you think that there's not as much um exposure to this exam within the entire industry uh, outside of the American Culinary Federation um, 
you know, and, and I know I, I don't want to get into any uh, any awkward territory there. Um, but I mean, what do you what do you think? And I, and I know you guys are already as a group, as an organization, working to 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 bring more attention to it. Yeah, Mike, there's a um, there's the organization AMCO, American Master Chefs Order, and um, they I, I a lot of the chefs I think in the past that have taken the exam and passed it were either like educators or club chefs two organizations that get a lot of financial support from wherever they're working. I would say, you know, educators, you get some type of stipend for, you know, furthering your, your education and uh, things like that. Same thing with, with work, you know, we all get a uh, education allowance, um, you know, to better ourselves and bring that back then to our kitchens and stuff. In a restaurant, they don't have that. Right. And that financial stress for somebody to, to have to put those funds up is a lot. And, you know, I'm, I'm proud to say that Jason Hall and some of the other past master chefs through AMCO are now starting a scholarship fund. Um, which is going to help, you know, help chefs that can't or don't have that financial support. There's going to be some funds there for them because you're right. We, we have to get the industry, the whole industry involved in this exam. There's a lot of talent out there. Right. And it's a shame that there's not more master chefs out there. Sure. Um, you know, because there, there are a lot of people that deserve it. No, absolutely. Uh, I'm actually looking to see, and maybe, you know, off the top of your head, but um, do you know what the uh, Instagram for Amco is? Oh, there it is. So um, I, I, I want to point this out. Um, so if you uh, are on Instagram and you go to American Master Chef's Order, uh, is the handle on Instagram. Um, you'll, you'll get to see uh, some, some cool things on there, but, but they started a podcast also. And uh, in, in their podcast, they have several episodes that break up the exam uh, right. into its parts. And the panel is, uh, they're, they're all CMCs. And, and they kind of walk you through um, you know, what it's like and strategies to prepare for it. Uh, I know uh, Gerald Ford is, is uh, working on um, some things to, to help people with, with some classes to prepare. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I mean, a bunch of, a bunch of you guys are, well, let me, let me, let me back up there and, and change the way that I say that. Um, the amount of mentorship that is available right. uh, through the entire CMC community is pretty astounding uh, and, and I know, I know firsthand that if you reached out to any one of them, uh, they would, they would open up their books and, and their, 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 oh, yeah, absolutely. To, to get ready. Um, so, cause you know, I, I know there's a lot of people out there who, who feel intimidated by the process and feel like it's, you know, it's tough to approach. Um, but I can tell you, uh, and I know you, you can confirm, um, it, it's, it, it can be an open book if you decide to open the book. 
Uh, That's right. You know, and you just have to make the contact, but like, um, you know, it's, it's a great group of individuals and just uh, a lot of knowledge and a lot of uh, willingness to share the knowledge. Um, but the knowledge isn't going to come after you, you know, and I always tell people that too, nobody's going to chase you down and feed you what it takes to, to, to accomplish this endeavor. You know, you have to, you have to go after it and, and show that you want it. So if you go to uh, American master chefs order on Instagram, that's a good start for you to get exposed to what they do. Listen to the podcast, um, and learn more about the process so that, you know, it, it could be something more approachable. And uh, I think it's important that people do that because there's, there's way too much talent within the population of, of master chefs. Um, you know, people need to know. Yeah. So. The other thing too, Mike, that Amco is doing is they are setting up those classes for people that have an interest in taking the exam. Um, and then all those different disciplines, there are certain chefs that will, work with them and help them teach them. But you're right. The individuals need to reach out and they're the ones that got to open the book, you know, like you said, and start going down that route. Sure. You know? Yeah. 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 It's it's cool stuff. Um, So I encourage everybody uh, to to check that out. If you think that's something you're interested in and, and speaking on on that topic, um, you know, if, if I'm a young cook, uh, maybe I'm in culinary school or maybe I just got out of culinary school or maybe maybe I never went to culinary school and I'm just working in restaurants. Um, and I've heard about this exam. I've heard about this path. Where where do you start? I mean, wh- how do you position yourself earlier in your career um, to, to put yourself on a path uh, to, to get ready for something like this? Yeah, Mike, it, it starts with um, your fundamentals. You know, and the sooner you can recognize that you, this is a goal that you want to achieve, the easier it will be for you to take the exam. And you have to think, when, when you tell yourself, hey, man, I want to be a master chef, then everything you do in the kitchen from day, that day forward you have to do it that high level of execution. And it doesn't matter what it is. It could be making a turkey club. It could be making a cheeseburger, you know, or opening oysters. It doesn't have to be some type of high-end foie gras, pate, or whatever, you know, it, 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 it is. The, the thinking is the way how you're going to execute it needs to be at that high level whether you're making a stock or you're cutting vegetables, even the way how you work on your station and set up your station, it, it, it needs to start then and not later. You know, um, it, as soon as, like I was saying, as soon as you make that commitment, then you need to start acting like it. Right. Those are habits that won't be, you know, you might have bad habits that need to get broken, but, if I go in every day and I set up my station like a certain way, then I'm going to take that method and I can do it blindfolded. It doesn't matter how much stress. And that's what happened in 17. You know, I had a system in place and I knew exactly where my tasting spoons were. 
I knew exactly where my knives were going to be held. I know exactly where everything needed to be. I could have been blindfolded and been able to work on my station because that's the way how I practice. And that's the way how I worked leading up from 14 to 17 for that exam. Right. You know, yeah. And that's what I tell my cooks, you know, don't, don't be working like a slob and think you're going to go, you know, compete or, or go take the exam, work like you're in the exam, work like you, you're getting ready for that competition. Sell, you know, set yourself up, polish your shoes, make sure your uniform is neat and pressed and, and you're clean shaven or, you know, and, and you look presentable. That's where it starts. Right. Yeah, we, I, you know, hanging out, uh, spending a lot of time with the military over the years. Um, I've gotten to learn a lot of their, uh, you know, the way that they live and, and, and the way that they feed each other and, and uh, just kind of the way that they see things. It's a right. definitely a whole different mindset. But, you know, they always say you, you, you know, you train how you fight. Right. Um, and, and that's it. You, you, you shouldn't train any differently than, than if you were actually at war. Um, and, and I think it's, uh, I think it's the same thing. I think it's parallel. Yeah, absolutely. To, to getting ready. For absolutely. Anything. It is. Uh, right. so yeah, so there, there's definitely a lot of value there. Um, well, cool, man. Uh, you know, I, we, we could talk for, for hours. This was one topic that we spent, uh, or two topics that we spent a whole hour on. Um, we're, we're just about at an hour and I want to kind of, um, let, let you go, but, uh, just to remind everybody, uh, again, uh, chef Leonardi is, um, he is at, so wait, hold on a second before I go, what is a director of culinary operations? <laughs> what is, what does that mean? Um, let me think here. I want to make sure that I politically say this correct. Okay. Um, I would say that the director of culinary operations is responsible for all culinary related operations. <laughs> okay. So do you, but you I, have, I, you have an executive chef, right? I do. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I have an executive chef, a couple of uh, two sous chefs and, uh, and then a whole brigade underneath them. Right. Um, I, you know, Mike, I, I'll tell you what I do at my job and um, because it might be different at other places and so on. Um, I do pick up a knife every now and then and I'll go in and, and butcher with some of the guys when they're butchering or um, it's not uncommon to see me on the line and, and working with the cooks and teaching them. And, and yeah, you can say riding them a little bit and, and pushing them and so on. But um, I, I have a great chef that's underneath me who's hands-on, he's in the operation. Um, you know, his feet are on the ground and he's all over the place. Me, I am a more out front talking with our membership, talking with um, our front of the house employees, working with them. Uh, I work very closely. We have a great team of assistant managers uh, at the club. I work very closely with them. Uh, my, our new GM, Kristen LeCount, she is uh, very food focused, very driven with food. It's her passion. 
Um, you know, and she pushes the bar. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to let her or any of um, the other management that's out at the club down. And, you know, for me, my, that's my job, you know, building the, making that connection between the front and the back, having a connection with our membership and knowing what they want. Of course, budgeting, you know, you, yeah. you can never get away from budgeting, but, sure. you know, and then, uh, and then I work with the chefs on menu writing and, and mentoring their line cooks. And I have a great job. I, I really do. And, uh, and I'm thankful. I have a great uh, team at, at the club, you know, in, in the back of the house. I have a great team out in the front and I have a great support system there. You know, yeah. it's, it's great. It really is. I'm blessed. Yeah, that's cool. You know, I, I almost feel, I know we were laughing about it earlier, but I, I almost feel like um, that that position uh, is, is something that potentially could be key to spread the the I, I guess the the weight of the back of the house to make it you know a, a a more manageable environment for everybody yeah you know one thing I do do that um like I do all of our HASA plans yeah um you know anything like that I work very closely with the board of health and um you know any type of anything new that we're looking to introduce to the club, you know, we just in introduced um, electrolyzed water for cleaning and disinfecting uh, in the club. Right. I did a whole packet um, on that and worked with the board of health on that. Um, so I do a lot of community stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Um, so let's see all things honey and more.com uh, to check out Joe's uh, line of honey products, uh, wax products too. Right. I mean, you, you yeah. doing the candle thing and foot scrubs and all sorts of <laughs> uh, all sorts of kind of beauty skincare items, but also some really, uh, really tasty and unique infused honeys. Um, so keep an eye on that to see that, um, see that grow and evolve. Uh, and Instagram, it's at Leonardi Apiary. So, so check all that out and share it and like it and all that stuff. If you're watching on YouTube uh, and you like this episode, be sure to click uh, like and share it with your friends. And also please subscribe. Um, thank you all for, for the support that you have been given Kitchen Brain Podcast up until this point. We have a couple of more episodes uh, for season one before we take a little bit of a... Uh, a break uh, for the, the holiday season. And then um, we'll come back in the spring, but uh, still have a couple more episodes uh, coming up here. Uh, thank you, Chef Joe Leonardi for taking the time and uh, educating everybody on, on your world and sharing your story. Uh, because I think that that's the more we share uh, our stories, the, the more uh, everybody can kind of be inspired and, and learn from that. And yours is truly uh, one of inspiration so thank you for, for taking Thanks, the time, Mark. my friend. Uh, we are going to do that reunion. Uh, we're going to get the band back together. I haven't, <laughs> haven't spoken to the other clowns yet, but uh, I, I, uh, I'm sure they'll be, they'll be down for it, and that'll be, that'll be a fun one. So um, Good thanks deal. again. And, uh, thanks, Mike. Stay well, man. All right, buddy. Take care. All right. Kitchen brain.